الجزيرة بودكاست Backpacker Ben is having a great vacation. His real name is Ben Fryer, but Backpacker Ben is the name of his YouTube channel, where he has more than 200,000 subscribers. He's loving the trip, and he wants his viewers to know. It's perfectly safe. Small bars and just walk the streets, get some street food, and show you that, like, life here is brilliant. I love it here, to be fair. The here that Ben loves is Damascus, Syria. Lads on tour in Syria! Syria! And he's far from the only travel influencer there. Guys, I've just entered the Umayyad Mosque, which is one of the most iconic mosques in the world. Just look at this masterpiece. So we're going to go now to the football stadium and see a Syrian football match. Let's go and check it out. There's something special about the taxis in Damascus. They're all yellow and old. Ben is one of many vloggers in Syria who've come from all over the world in recent years, posting videos of fun sights, flavors, and sounds from the country. But critics feel it leaves a lot out. As seen all too common in Syria, the white helmet rescue workers pulling out people from under the rubble. Frantic scenes of overwhelmed hospitals, dead children, and countless bodies. So what do Syrians think of this wave of travel influencers? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. To try and answer that question, I'm talking to one person who knows the country well. My name is Mohammed Al-Abdullah. I'm the director of the Syria Justice and Accountability Center. I'm a human rights activist from Syria, a former prisoner in Syria twice, and I moved to the U.S. as a refugee. Mm. So, Mohammed, as you mentioned, you're from Syria, though you haven't been there in many years at this point. Someone who has, though, is Gustav Rosted. He's also known as Gus on the Go. He's a Danish travel vlogger who's done a lot of videos from Syria. And I want to play one in which he's partying in Damascus. Have a listen. Damascus has an awesome nightlife. Really underrated. One of the best in the Middle East. Very good start, huh? Very good start. So this lovely guy is just handing us tequila shots. These Syrians, they are crazy guys. Not the Syria that you would believe, right? Not the Syria you would believe. So he's toasting, they're having tequila shots. He's not the only one. These videos are uh, a plentiful on YouTube. What was your first reaction when you saw videos like this one, with this wave of travel influencers going to Syria? My first reaction was that these trips are uh, staged and organized somehow. And they are not just innocent travelers who are going to Syria because it attracts tourism. Such influencers and bloggers go to new areas to break new stories and to get their viewerships, etc. But it seems there is a common characteristic between them that a lot of them go to the same places. A lot of them, they happen constantly meet the same people in the street. And a lot of them are populating the Syrian government version of the story. 
that it's a war in terror, that government has recovered the country. Damascus is just about as safe and peaceful as any city can be. We all know that it's gone through stages of misery during the war, but the past is the past and they've moved on with a positive attitude. The country is beautiful, which is a beautiful country, but it's unfortunately destroyed with half of its population displaced. So we could not ignore this phenomenon. We ended up writing about it in our organization. And we think a lot of what they're saying is just far from truth. Can you tell me about your own personal story? So I was part of the human rights movement in Syria in 2003. We had a movement focused on defending political prisoners in Syria. It was my last year law school. And I was with a group of activists and lawyers. We tried to represent political detainees who were facing charges for writing an article or drawing a cartoon or making a comment online. Um, I ended up in prison myself because the government could not even tolerate human rights lawyers in the country or human rights activists. Oh, wow. Um, so I spent almost a month in a prison and I had a military trial, although I'm a civilian. For no clear reason, I had a military court. Um, the first detention was one month was not super abusive. But the second one was quite terrible. I spent seven months, uh, almost half of that, in Sadnaya military detention facility. Uh, and I was a victim of torture. Mm. And again, I had another military trial, yet I'm a civilian. So I ended up leaving the country. I ran to Lebanon, where I finished my law school. I worked for Human Rights Watch for two years from Lebanon, continuing what I was doing in Syria. And from there, I couldn't go back to Syria. I ended up leaving uh, the region and come to the U.S. as a refugee. So... Just to be clear, you left before 2011 because you could see what was coming. Is that how you would describe it? I I left because I was a victim of torture and I couldn't stay and I couldn't put up with a third prison term. I met with my father there. He was serving a prison term because he's a writer. Oh, wow. And my brother was in the same jail. So so you and your father were in prison at the same time? Yes. And we met, we stayed, we spent a couple of months together between Sadnaya prison and Adra prison. And my brother, my youngest brother, Omar, was also in prison in Syria, just merely for some students' activism in the university. And he spent five and a half years in Sadnaya military prison. I know my country, and what the bloggers are showing us in these videos is not Syria. Yeah. It's a different Syria. So given all of your personal history, Does it make it that much more distasteful to see what the bloggers are trying to portray about Syria? Or does any of it ring true for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It is it is syncing with the narrative um, of the Syrian regime, simply that we had terrorism in the country and we had to take care of it. And there's nothing happening. People are celebrating and life is normal. Everybody is dancing in Damascus. The place where Gus was celebrating with with people and and just um, having shots and proposing toasts, it's just a few minutes drive from Douma, was hit by chemical weapons wow. in 2013. 1,500 people died. Thousands of people suffered from convulsions and suffocation. The UN says rockets containing the nerve agent sarin were fired into the suburbs in what inspectors call the deadliest use of chemical weapons since 1988. In 2016, 2017, hundreds of people lost their lives and lost their 
livelihood and ended up being refugees and displaced into the northern uh, province of Idlib. And when the Syrian government was hitting these areas hard and killing innocent civilians, they were trying to portray there's nothing happening in the country. People are in the street shopping and going to restaurants and it's okay, just we have some terrorists and we're taking care of them. But that's not the truth. There's seven provinces in Syria are leveled completely. But what we see in these videos... Full party mode in Damascus. It was the government is trying to tell the outside world that all those protesters are Islamic terrorists mm -hmm. and the government is upholding secularism. And that's why all the government propaganda materials ended up being people clubbing at night. As if Syrians have nothing to do just for clubbing, which is not true uh, nightlife of Syria. This exists in a couple of places and weekends, but that's about it. But the life of Syrians is not about clubbing. Syrians are hardworking and highly educated. People go to libraries, to universities, they attend events. And so just to make it super shallow and superficial to follow the leads of the Syrian government propaganda narrative, it's just super distasteful, of course. After the break, what the Syrian government is getting out of it, beyond perceptions. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women. An unconventional and extraordinary artist. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. A communist revolutionary. Everyone in China knew my face. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Some of the appeal for travel influencers going to Syria seems to be so-called dark tourism, visiting places that are associated with tragedy or danger. But Mohammed al-Abdullah has also been researching what the appeal is for the Syrian government. And part of it has to do with the international sanctions the government has been under for years. I think part of the, of the game here is that people go and spend money. I'm Drew Binsky, and I'm going to show you what $10 can get you in Damascus, Syria. Let's go. That brings foreign currency revenue to the Syrian government, who's sanctioned by the US, the EU, Canada, most of the basically Western world. Those tourists will be providing foreign currency reserve to the government, despite the sanctions. And usually tourism is associated with people visiting, having good time, uh, enjoying food. The owner of this shop, after I got the pomegranate juice, he just gave me these free beans. Thank you so much. And the country benefits from the tourists, from the guests, because restaurants will work, hotels will have guests and, and customers, uh, taxi drivers will work. Like this fuels the economy usually and, and brings revenue to the average Syrian people. But this type of tourism is benefiting the government pockets simply. It's helping the government to recover politically and whitewash their hands. Mm -hmm. Which is why the article that you mentioned that you worked on for your organization is entitled The Post-War Tour, How Tourism is Empowering the Syrian Government. Can you give me another example of what you're talking about there, where 
the tragedy and the devastation is just glossed over. Have you seen that in other videos? One of the bloggers, Drew Binsky, in his organized trip to Syria, he avoided at all going to areas of destruction. So basically, he did a trip in 2019, and he tried to portray Syria as a safe place, which is not. And there's nothing happening here. The conflict is over, which is not. He goes to like, oh, I'm going to show you how you can spend a night in Syria with $10 only. We can go get shawarma and we sit in good cafes. While the average Syrian person lives on less than 90 cents a day. Wow. Have I mentioned yet that it's really cheap? 10 bucks is about 7,000 Syrian pounds. Are you guys ready for this one? Let's hit it. Just for reference, that was in 2019. 10 US dollars today is about 25,000 Syrian pounds. 90% of the population under poverty line and half of the population dependent on aid for securing their daily meals. In total, I got a pomegranate juice, fava beans, a manaish, a Syrian cap, a Syrian flag, a taxi to downtown, a coconut candy bar, a sunglasses pouch, an alphabet necklace, and a lemonade slushie for $9.71. Of course you can get that in $10 because the average state employee salary monthly now is $20 after mm. the collapse of the economy. Thanks to the Syrian government who spent the foreign currency reserve and the Syrian economy on fueling a war and destroying the economy. The take reached out to Drew for comment, but didn't hear back before we recorded this episode. There's another blogger, Jacob Laquitis, and during his filming, of course, the, the video is edited. Uh, it's like, oh my God, my driver was just arrested at a checkpoint. It's incredible. My driver got taken away. Man, just a regular day in the life of Jacob. <laughs> so he's in Syria and he's filming in a car with um, his handlers, presumably, or a translator. It's unclear. So on the screen, it says, we're told that our driver can't continue because they suspected he's involved with a terrorist organization. They had to double check. So he kind of does a nervous chuckle. It's, it's a very awkward moment. But what is what do you take away from that? What I take away of that is, is this is actually how a lot of Syrians ended up being detained in checkpoints. You take people to detention facilities and you torture them. And this is consistent with hundreds, if not thousands, of narratives we heard. And we documented tons of those who was detainees released from, from custody in Syria after they were detained. Oh, wow. And likely under torture, people would admit things. I admitted a lot of things under torture, but... Uh, but uh, but unfortunately, after 2011, that torture starts mounting to executing people, death under torture. And which is, the blogger seems to kind of laughing a little bit about, like, oh, they're going to verify or they're going to double check. Of course. The take reached out to Jacob to see if he ever found out what happened to his driver that day. We didn't hear back before we recorded this episode. But rather than draw attention to the issue of torture, one of the vloggers we've talked about, Gus On The Go, actually used it as a way to bring attention to himself. I was tortured in Syria. Shonik Habibi. We are ready for the hammam. Let's go, man. We went to this hammam in Damascus in the old city and paid around $4 each for this. So he posted this video. I suppose it's tongue-in-cheek from a hammam or 
Middle Eastern spa bath. I made it to the end and there's amazing treatment. Some would call it torture and some would call it pleasure. And he entitles it, I was tortured in Syria, which seems especially distasteful because more than 14,000 people have been tortured to death in government jails in Syria since 2011. The title, of course, is misleading where everybody will click on that. We understand um, people are obsessed with their viewership and they just want to attract viewers to their, to their channels. To title that, I got tortured in Syria is very telling. He knows what's happening in the country. And unfortunately, torture became so associated with Syria that even in black humor jokes, torture jokes are cracked. I was tortured in Syria, but it was the best torture ever. For somebody, a survivor of torture, I imagine I'm sitting here in the U.S. watching this dude making these not-super-funny jokes about the torture and abuse in Syria. Uh, I think I think I think what they're doing is just terrible. Yeah. Really, even if they generate revenue and money from this, you're you're making money out of other people's blood. As simple as that. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry that you had to see that. We reached out to Gus, who stressed that he has never been paid by a government to go to a country. Gus told us he believes all war criminals should be punished and that he looks to spread a peaceful message through his videos. He didn't respond to us telling him Muhammad found his hammam video offensive. Muhammad, I wanted to ask you about the relationship between the government and these travel vloggers. You touched on it a little bit, but what do you think the actual connection is? It could be a couple of things. could be like we facilitate your, your trip and since Syria has became a very black box, nobody enters and no independent media, those people thought they would generate revenue from the viewers. Um, I'm not sure if some of those people associated with some Russian disinformation or propaganda agencies, um, some of the videos suggest so. But there's no hard proof, of course. You don't, you don't have any documents or emails or anything shows that. That's why we try to go to the analysis to make reasonable inferences that they're claiming Syria is safe and it's not. They happen to see the same people, go to the same hotel, meet with the same families by coincidence, and they go to populate the version of the Syrian government narrative in, in, in the conflict. Many of these travel influencers say that they are not political, that they're just going to Syria for a cultural experience, to record the sights and sounds for their followers. So despite all of the concerns and the criticisms, that's pretty different from the media portrayal that Syria has gotten in the last decade. Do you think that there is anything to that perspective to show the world that Syria is more than just a war-torn country? Syria is more than a war-torn country indeed, but also going to Syria to show the culture of Syrians without touching on the misery of the daily life of people, the financial meltdown, and even the lack of of basic services. There's no gasoline, there's no heating oil and cooking gas. Uh, people ended up start riding horses inside Syria because there's no gasoline to put in cars. This is the daily life of, of Syrians. Showing the culture of Syria as if it's prior to 2011, it's not honest. This is disinformation, simply. And this is, of course, not an invitation to go and show only um, destruction sites, but ignoring it and go 
to the fancy neighborhoods that did not see fights and where only the government near circle elitish people live and say, oh, Syria is beautiful. Of course, that's, that's an easy conclusion. At least that's what makes you a bad journalist or a bad blogger. Syrians need help. We need somebody to go and tell the world that those people are just normal humans and they deserve help like everybody else, but not in this cheap, this distasteful and, and unfortunately dishonest narrative the bloggers are making. Yeah. Finally, Mohammed, do you think there is a day when you'll be able to return to Syria? I hope so. I don't know. Without a meaningful change in the government in Syria, going back for, for somebody like me simply means a death sentence. There's at least 100,000 Syrians disappeared in detention facilities so far. We don't know anything about them. So without a meaningful change with some political solution for Syria, of course, I will not be able to go back. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ashish Madhotra with Sonia Bagat, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, David Enders, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>